0: Of course we are dead we are all dead we were supposed to make the world a better place Well, i'm as mad as hell and i'm not gonna take this anymore i know kung fu
1: you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become a villain
0: i'm as mad as hell and i'm not gonna take this anymore
1: this whole thing is insane this whole thing is insane Three hundred years ago you'd have been burned at the stake. What do all men of power want? More power. This is now the United States of Zombie Land. This whole thing is insane!
0: Man is evil, capable of nothing but destruction.
1: Everybody is stuck with the things that they're not proud of. More power. Welcome to the desert
0: the real, power.
2: There can
0: be only one. Are you a god fearing man, Senator? It's such a strange
2: phrase. I've always thought of God as a teacher, as a
0: bringer of light, wisdom, and understanding. You see, I think what you really are afraid of is me. Happy heresies, and welcome to the desert of the real. Heresy shouldn't be this much fun, but it is, it just is. Especially with the latest AB Live, audio version for thee in this eternal now. Let's get into the spirit of this season by channeling the divine feminine. Danielle Dolsky returned to the virtual Alexandria to discuss her new book, The Holy Wild Grimoire a heathen handbook of magic spells and verses. Beyond getting valuable insights into magic rituals for modern times, we discussed the role, identity, and challenges of witches today. Is the world better suited for mystic females, and all individuals in general, or is the goddess more needed than ever? We explored this and much more. So yes, it's an unofficial Halloween special for everyone. Thank you to those of you who support this Red Pill Cafeteria. You are amazing and your backing, company, and feedback make this podcast happen in the Black Iron Prison. For those of you angry at PayPal's recent shenanigans... Consider the Red Circle sub that gives you access to all full shows for only $4.99 a month or the many flexible tiers on Patreon. As I often mention, if you need any complete shows because of the financial stress due to Archon Monkey Shines, just let me know. Heck and heckity, I've given cats temporal subs because they just needed some necessary gnosis. We're all in this together, and no one here is getting rich. We need Gnosis more than ever in this Age of Hermes, Philip K. Dick world, and Gnostic times. Expect more violence, wars, rising addiction and suicide rates, mass depression, and societal collapse until more look inward, while breaking the outward spell of Yaldibaldi and his Epstein angels. You won't find this high-quality Gnostic and Hermetic wisdom or many of my guests and their unique insights anywhere else in cyberspace or even meatspace. Don't forget, as always, my voiceover availability for any podcast, commercial, audiobook, documentary, or whatever. I'll bring you stellar results with down-to-home professionalism. And don't forget, I do have an Amazon wishlist and a fantastic merch store. Other than that, let us to our latest A.B. Live in this season of The Witch. Write your own gospel, live your own myth.
1: What unites people? Armies? Gold?
0: Flags?
1: Stories? There's nothing in the world more powerful than a good story. Nothing can stop it. No enemy can defeat it. And who has a better story?
0: Welcome everybody to AB Live and Aeon Byte. My name is Miguel Connor, your pompous of Gnosis. Great to see everybody here already going into the chat room on this Freya or Venus day on this Friday. And we have a, a great show, and uh, you might say it's an unofficial celebration of Halloween that or the season where the spirits come up, where we let our shadow come and play, where the witches rise because the lunar powers are beginning to take over, and where we can all meditate upon, upon death, the quiet, and the other worlds that await us. So very excited today to have back at the virtual Alexandria Danielle Dulsky this time to talk about her new book, *The Holy Wild Grimoire*, a heathen handbook of magic spells and verses. A book I enjoyed, uh, and in fact, there were some parts that were they got me pretty emotional. She has some uh, great uh, text. For example, the uh, ire of the fallen mother got me very emotional. But enough about what I think, Danielle. Thank you very much for coming back.
2: Thank you so much for having me, Miguel. Very happy to be here. It's been a long time. Yes,
0: it has. As we were talking, it was yeah. This time, almost exactly by a day, 2017, and boy has the world changed and i know it's hard on a lot of people but in a way with the insanity of the 20s the roaring 20s right you wanted another roaring 20s people talk about we got a roaring 20s but uh, i have like learned to welcome the chaos i think the chaos is in a way the return of Tiamat, the time of cybel so it is a time where we can all encounter our anima as things seem to be breaking down. As WB8 said, the center cannot hold. Right. How how has it been for you or what do you think? Or am I just being too positive?
2: <laughs> no, I get accused of being too positive all the time. I blame it on my Aquarianness, but I keep thinking about how uh, I can't believe that I get to be here for this chapter in the world story and holding the tension of the people that we've lost and knowing that, you know, the world is go- going to keep being as chaotic as as it is now and probably keep spiraling on and on and we get to be here. And I think that that's kind of a stunning thing that we chose to be here for this. So, yeah, that's been my mantra. I can't believe I get to be here for this. <laughs>
0: Yeah, great attitude. It's like when uh, Jung, Carl Jung went down into the underworld and he had a nervous psychotic breakdown, he said, I'm just going to be a scholar of my own insanity. I'm going to be an anthropologist of the mind. So I think that's the attitude. This is a time to know about what's inside of you and outside of you and find your place in history, right?
2: Right. Yeah, that's exactly how I feel. Why here? Why now? I believe that we all chose to be here for this. So, yeah.
0: Exactly. And with us, too, we've got the Moondog Vance. Vance, how are you doing in this point of history on this Venus Day?
1: Which show am I on now? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm fine. I'm burning my sandalwood incense here in back of me, so that'll hopefully have some beneficial effects. Not too bad for a Saturday morning. It's Friday, Vince. It's
0: Friday. Tomorrow is Saturday. Well, that if answers the really question are. in itself, <laughs> doesn't it? <laughs> Where are you in history?
1: I'm just ahead of my time. It's my Saturday, actually, because I'm off every Friday. So it's my Saturday. Yeah,
0: that is true. So for you, the weekend has begun. So awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, for those of you already in the chat room, uh, welcome. Always glad to see you. we got a cult fan mark jefferson anna and everybody else and as as always we'll uh if you have any questions super chat them write them in all caps question marks and we will do our best to get to them no guarantees but uh we'll try to make it as interactive as possible and not much else when it comes to house cleaning as always please like share subscribe blah 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 you guys know the drill spread the words of the gnostic i mean even in our last show with gordon he made an argument that the gnostic hermetic stance is one of the most positive stances in any time of history because we are the guardians of the imaginal the uh, ancient forgotten lore of uh, Ashira and the first temple and all those great mysteries so we are doing our best and we always try to have a good sense of humor which is what matters today So, Danielle, um, tell us about Holy Wild Grimoire and how it came about. Uh, In our last interview, we talked about your book, uh, Woman Most Wild, but this is uh, sort of uh, the second or it's after the Holy Wild, a heathen Bible for the untamed woman. Tell us about this book and what it means.
2: Yeah. So it was originally going to be a companion book for The Holy Wild, A Heathen Bible. And then, and so that was a book that I wrote mostly in 2017. And then 2020 happened. And so (laughs) I was trying to write the book as being a handbook for a book that I wrote so many years ago. It just didn't feel right anymore. So as I'm writing it, it sort of became its own thing. So The Holy Wild Grimoire is a book of story lanterns. So allowing certain stories to be oracles, similar to the way we might use a pendulum or tarot cards or something like that, letting the story itself be an oracle, and then inviting the reader to kind of dig into their own memories and also visions of what they want for themselves and be able to kind of, divine answers to their unanswerable questions from their own writing so yeah so it's a strange book
0: (laughs) No, no it's a wonderful book it's the kind of book we need because again it's it's well researched it's practical you've got the rituals the spells but you've also got this beautiful prose that really hits the the soul and you've got history ideas it's personal so uh yeah, it's a great book. I certainly highly recommend it. And uh, But uh, I guess the question would be, and I often ask this to uh, to guess, what is a heathen and what is a witch? And what does a witch mean today in 2022 with all this social media and technology and war and all that other stuff?
2: Right. <laughs> well, that's, that's a heavy question. So heathen, heathen and witch are different. Heathen, the etymology of heathen is the one who lives on untamed ground, which is such a great way of looking at that word. So it was originally uh, the dwellers on the heath, the ones that didn't want to subscribe to the new Christian religion in the Celtic lands. And so then heathen, of course, became a derogatory term and one that my mother liked to call me quite a bit when I was younger (laughs) and didn't want to go to church. And then... Witch, yeah. So witch is, uh, the etymology of witch is wise. And I think that it's one of those words that is maybe becoming a bit more palatable than it used to be, but it still has a sharpness to it. So to me, the witch is someone who lives on the fringes of society, not removed from society, but not in the center either, so that they can better see, you know, the whole and what's going on and have kind of a longer vision and behold themselves as part of this one long ancestral story instead of having kind of short-sightedness that I think is a real plague on our society, especially right now when we're having to see far beyond this global underworld journey that we're on right now. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, well said indeed. I know the word witch. Yeah, there's so much. There's either baggage or so much different connotations. I remember having uh, Maja Daou, and she's written a lot of books. She's a, a witch, and we kind of came with a definition that worked for both of us, which was simple, was uh, followers of the goddess Sibel, the great mother that came down in a meteorite, and everything she represents, including bringing her back from the thousands of years of oppression that we've had, too. Right. But, uh, but there's so much. And you also use a lot in your book words like word witchery and word witches. What What is that?
2: Yeah. So word witch is a name that I started using for myself when I started thinking about how potent it is to weave your own art into your spell crafting. So, spells can get cast in different ways, but whoever you are and whatever kind of witch you are, whenever you allow your own art, whether that's like dancing or gardening or singing or whatever it might be, for me, it's writing. So, when you invite your own art into the spell, it makes the spell that much more energized and potent. So, I started using my own writing in my spell craft maybe about eight years ago. And then my spell started working a lot better. (laughs) I thought, well, this is a great thing. I'm onto something here. And of course, I'm not the first one to do that. The original spells were stories. The etymology of grimoire is grammar. So words have always been important in witchcraft. But a word witch is somebody who really amplifies the, uh, the use of words and language and poetry and song in their spell work and witchcraft
0: so i assume you believe that you're talking about spells and art that every woman every person has access to this power they should i get from your writings don't sell yourself short you have access to what our ancestors had to what magicians have philosophers it's all there for the it's there for you
2: yeah Exactly. I think that everybody can do it if they're open to it. And I think that everybody's a bit more open to it this time of year. (laughs) Everybody's a little bit of a witch this time of year. So yeah, definitely. Good
0: deal. There's also a section in your book called Love Letters on a Deathbed. Could you tell the audience about that?
2: Yeah. So that's the, that's the introduction that I was worried was maybe going to the title was going to bum people out and they wouldn't want to read the book, but it still felt like the right thing. I have a real pattern in my family story of people dying at home on deathbeds and it's a very common thing in my family. So I've been to deathbed since I was young and there's always this strange ritual that sometimes goes on for a long time of you go to visit the dying person and you bring pictures and talk about memories and all of that. So I think it's kind of a universal sensation, you know, a a feeling of what that's like. But I was thinking about what does that mean now when so much of our, so much of, of what we believed would have been true about our lives and a lot of people that are, My age or older, maybe thinking that the world was going to keep getting better and then maybe suddenly realizing that it isn't. And a lot of myths from when we were younger failing to fruit, like, you know, work really hard and you'll be happy, or there's a knight on a white horse who's coming to save you. All of those things sort of slowly. Failing to fruit and dying and allowing that those deaths to be grieved just like you would a dying person on a deathbed. So leaving love letters on the deathbed of the old orphan dreams and what we believed the world was going to be, maybe, so that we can invite the new rebirth that's coming. I believe that there's a rebirth coming. I hope I get to see it, but in order for that to happen, we must grieve well for what's what's
0: dying, what's falling to bones. Yeah, let's hope the Kali Yuga ends and we can see what's on the other side. And uh, yeah, it seems one of the messages of your book is the idea of the getting rid of the old myths and not old myths, but our current myths, as Joseph Campbell said, we knew, need a new myth and finding ancient myths that work for us. As somebody said on a show recently, Things like government, capitalism, the Big Bang, these are all myths. They're agreements we made and stories we created to sort of, uh, well, on a cynical, uh, on a cynical uh, side, uh, what would feel saying? Uh, sanity sharing in the, the illusions of our neighbors, but th- it's all myths. So you, you feel we need to discover more myths for ourselves and as a society.
2: I do. And I I love, there's a quote from Joseph Campbell that I think I put in that, in the new book, where he says that you, you might as well find a way, he says something like, you may as well befriend the stories that were put into you when you were younger, because they're in there anyway. And I know that I spent a large part of my life trying to get away from the stories that were put into me when I was younger, um, that felt like indoctrination. And to me, a big part of my own maturity and my uh, evolution, if that's the right word, as a witch, my growth as a witch, has been to befriend the stories that maybe um, were sharper and maybe I felt were too binding when I was younger, but being able to kind of find a home in them. So, yeah new myths and and old stories too. I think if we can hold the tension between those two, then we can maybe find the third way, right?
0: Oh, maybe. agreed. And do you still find any value with the old uh, myths or programming like in Christianity or Judaism, like Mary Magdalene, the Judge Deborah? I mean, they, they are there. Some of them have been hidden, oppressed, marginalized, but they were there, these very powerful, women who were you know main disciples of Jesus who were leaders of Israel do you still find any value in them or have you just moved on
2: No I still find a lot of value in those stories the the holy wild heathen bible is um has these revisionings of Jezebel and Mary Magdalene and uh the whore of Babylon and um uh i'm forgetting one um but anyway these five different revisionings of of women from the bible and thinking about how they could be better empowered because really the their stories are really cool like you know the, the stories that are in the bible like there's a lot of them that are really good stories just from an objective yes. perspective right
0: some are so, game of Thrones; they're vicious and powerful yeah. <laughs>
2: Right, exactly. So we're just, so we're just swimming in them all the time, but they really are good stories. So yeah, I, I still absolutely think that they have merit. It's just that we we're just swimming in them all the time. And of course, they're used to do terrible things. But yeah, objectively good stories.
0: <laughs> yeah, indeed. And uh, and uh, this might be, excuse me, another big question. Uh, so, but I feel it needs to be asked. I th- I feel, and I'm not going to mention any issue because then the algorithms or whatever, that women are under more attack than they ever have been. And I always feel it's, and others have agreed uh, that women represent nature. And to be able to, the powers to control the world, you can't repress nature and let women free. You can't oppress women and let nature free. You got to do both. And these powers are hell-bent on destroying the earth, controlling it. What do you think? Do you think it's better for women than it ever has been? Or do you think it's just as uh, the assault continues by the archons, as we call them on the show?
2: Oh, well, the assault continues. Yes. I, the burning times have never ended. Yes. Um, is it better for women now than it was in the 1600s? Probably. But that doesn't mean that, (laughs) you know, the, the work absolutely continues. Um, we, we had, um, you know, a judge on the highest court, quote a witch trial judge in one of the opinions that's been most damaging to women recently. So, I mean, that alone should prove to us <laughs> we've still got quite a lot of work to do, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. it's always it's always going to be there. The fight is, but I think uh, again, the balance is a good idea. So, what advice do you have? You given people or that has worked for you? Uh, 2020, again, uncertain times. Uh, A lot happened. We are in a place of economic uncertainty and war and all this stuff. What advice do you have or do you think your book can help for uh, witches today and women to not be swallowed by fear or anxiety or all those horrible things that can just paralyze us?
2: Right. I think um, one of the things that I say is that the the remedy for apathy is awe. I think that um, for me, it really happened in 2016. 2020, I found to be kind of intensely exciting, like I was saying in the beginning. But in 2016, I really was so kind of broken and almost depressed that I just kind of wanted to hide in my cave and never talk to anyone again for a while. and. Um, and so it felt like apathy. And then I came to this knowing that it can be, it can be a place of all, you know, if you don't feel like being a high fire activist all the time, you can be in this place of kind of being stunned by this part of the story and that you get to be here for this weird part of the story. And, and it doesn't necessarily mean that you're giving up. You're just in this place of um, of kind of intentional, conscious awe of the story that we're living. So, yeah, that's that's probably my go-to advice for these times. That seems like people tend to at least feel they might not listen to me, but they okay <laughs> understand what I'm saying. Yeah,
0: no, uh, I think it's the best advice. Show up to your story. It's there for you. You're part of. You created it in a way. You're embedded in it, and yeah, it's. Uh you have a purpose we all have a purpose to make things better to renew things and so forth Uh, makes perfect sense and um next question i had i guess uh when people and i'm sorry for these high level questions but it's been five years so i'm like let's get the big (laughs) questions out of the way especially for those that might need help or want to really understand a sense of perspective but When people ask you, what is magic? What do you answer? Obviously, most people lean with Dion Fortune or Alistair Crowley's definition, Mm -hmm. but what do you, somebody comes up to you and says, Danielle, what is magic?
2: Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I sometimes in my answers, I tend to conflate magic with spell crafting. And I shouldn't do that, because that's not the way it is. But magic is um, uh, an, a, an energy that is neither good nor bad. So I, I personally don't believe that there's, um, you know, dark and white magic. I think that it's all in the hands of the practitioner. So spellcraft would be the art and then magic would be like, so let's say spellcraft is like the painting and magic would be like the, the paint. Right. So yeah, it's, it's what's wielded and some, some people might say manipulated, but it's what's wielded in order to create the, um, the container of spell crafting, which could be used for healing or banishing or manifesting or protection. So there's different categories of spells, but all use magic to kind of send it where it needs to go. So Being in conversation with magic is being in conversation with the universal energies. And every spell is a conversation. So it's important to be aware of what you're saying (laughs) in your spells.
0: Oh, it is indeed. And do you see evil entities or spirits out there? Do you see evil forces? Or what's your worldview on this?
2: Very, very rarely. Rarely. I And that might could just be me. I mean, I know that it's everybody's everybody's perspective is different. I very rarely see an entity that I would call evil. Um, I see... Uh, I see people that (laughs) I would call confused. Um, And I think that it could be, you know, I do keep my energy pretty clean. And I tend to not attract um, entities that I think are trying to get at me too often. This time of year, I can feel spirits that I definitely, I'm sure they're human spirits that have unfinished business that I think that if I didn't, know what I know I might call them evil spirits but they're not they're they're human spirits that um, want to be forgiven or want their stories to be told things like that and they just kind of can find people that have shiny auras that they can attach to and talk to and yeah I tell my I tell my people that are just kind of new to mediumship or witchcraft that it's like going out your front door and you don't have to talk to everybody that's there (laughs) It's the same. Just because you can doesn't mean you have to.
0: Yeah. Great advice. Great advice. And the, uh, what about the use of magic? I'm sure you get asked that too. When I, uh, uh, and I've asked this to different guests, for example, I asked Damien Nichols when he was on the show, I said, okay, so you've been doing, you did magic for so many years in prison. You are, you know how it works, how it's transformed your life inner outer, but how, Often should magic be used for, might say, material selfish things. I want to get the car or the man or I want to, you know, better health, whatever it is. And how often should it be for thy will be done, my inner spiritual world, connect with the other planes? He said he has like an 80-20 rule. 80% is spiritual connecting with his uh, guardian angel. 20 is for selfish things. What do you... What's your attitude on how to use magic?
2: Wow, I love that question. I feel like it's the question, like in the witchcraft community, and I know that my my close friends who are witches, none of us would give you the same answer. Um, I have witches that are I'm really close friends with. They're incredibly powerful witches that pre- pretty much only cast spells for material gain and things that they want and selfish spells. And they're really good at it. So I don't, you know, I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. Um, I kind of look at it like, especially when you work with deity or otherworldly entities, like you were saying, the, the guardian angel or even ancestors. I look at it like you need to pay into the deep well of power that is that entity or those ancestors or whatever that power source is that you're looking to work with. You need to pay into that well of power enough that if you're casting a spell where you're looking to make a small withdrawal, you're able to do that. So for me, I work with the the few deities that I do work with. They are of um in in the Irish cosmology and so or the Irish pantheon and so I look at it like my ancestors have paid into that deep well of power over hundreds or even thousands of years I've paid into it as well when I go to my altar I speak my prayers or I write my stories or light my candles that's me making these energetic deposits into that well so that when I need to cast a spell because I need something then I can call on them and I've done enough it might be 80 20 now that I'm thinking about it I've never given it never quantified it before but it might be that yeah I think you can cast spells as often as you want though I don't think that it needs to necessarily be limited but yeah if you're drawing from a well of power there needs to be a giving into that well also
1: how about the distinction between uh, getting things by working on yourself Perception and also, you know, manipulating chance so that you happened come to situations that'll get your objective as opposed to manipulating people, doing things to give opportunities to take things that you wouldn't ordinarily, you know, according to social, you know, you know, in other words, commit crimes, uh, magical crimes or whatever. What about that distinction?
2: Right. Yeah. It's, it's always tricky in my experience when there are other people involved in the spell. So um, even if I'm, you know, let's say I'm casting a love spell, which I haven't in a very long time, but if I did um, and I've casted love spells that really went awry and then I've casted a few love spells that worked, um, but that was almost an accident. So You know, whether it's like a hex or something where you're trying to cause harm or even something where you're trying to do something that's good, if there's other people involved, it gets really complicated. So, um, you know, in a way, it is all manipulation, even though that's we know that that's a terrible word. But you are kind of as the witch, you're you're you are kind of directing the energies where you want them to go. I'll almost never name anyone in my spells unless it's a healing spell um every once in a while my children and my husband get involved but for the most part i don't ever say anybody by name because because i just don't know um if i'm uh i'm 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 working with some people on ethical hexing and what does that mean right now (laughs) it is so complicated i feel fine personally about hexing systems Um, And so, you know, when I do that, the ethical question is, if I hex a system, let's say a large corporation that I know is doing something terrible, there's people that work for that corporation, that maybe they need that paycheck, right? And so that's where it can get sticky. And you just sort of as the witch you're thinking about, is it a a risk that is worth it? Or? Yeah, do I do I not need to do it right now?
0: It must be, yeah, it must be a hard question because obviously magic works, no doubt. We could talk science and bring people like Dean Raden and all these people. And it does work, but at the same time, it is a responsibility. I mean, it must be a temptation. You can go, oh, I'm going to go hex your villain du jour, you know, Trump or Putin or my ex or, you know, whoever it is. But at the same time, is it ethical? Should you do it? I mean, again, I know I'm going back to Dion Fortune because she's so amazing. But she, when she was doing ma- magic against the Nazis, she would not hex individual Nazis. It was all protection of England because she felt that would bring her down to the level of the Nazis, so even she wouldn't do it. But what do you tell people, Danielle?
2: Yeah, I think that the. I mean, this might not be helpful for somebody that's just beginning, but. It's, it's always important for the witch to kind of have like a reflexive practice, just like, you know, a therapist might, where you go back and you look at the patterns in your spells and also your embodied state of being when you cast that spell. So I can really clearly see the spells that have not worked for me were the ones that were cast from a place of rage or or not righteous rage, but like a vengeful type of personal rage that, you know, they never worked and my nervous system was off and like, can, I can in reflection, see why those spells didn't work. So if you can look at your patterns in your spell crafting and like, what was the type of spell? How long did it take to come to fruition? If it did come to fruition, would you say that it worked? Do you feel good about it? So it's a constant kind of um, investigation into your past practices as a witch in order to see, what works and what doesn't, and what feels okay for you in your witchcraft because it is, it is personal, it's unique to the practitioner.
0: Yeah, that's well said. Yeah, for me, it's sometimes just is it my ego or my higher self that's making the decision? Who do I trust? You can't, okay. so that's always, but you can find a difference. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a tricky, Vance. Any other question from you or the audience in the chat room?
1: Well, I got a quick one, which is. Would you consider um, makeup and jewelry and perfume and any kind of grooming that men and women do or other genders, but don't want to exclude them, um, uh, as a form of magic?
2: Oh, that's an interesting question. Uh, Makes like glamour magic? Right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, I was just thinking about that because uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson said something in an interview and I thought like, I've never thought of that before, how how it's all a lie that like when I put blush on my cheeks, that that's a lie. It's like I'm lying. <laughs> people can people know that it's blush or my lips aren't this color or I don't always have this necklace on. So I've been thinking about that, uh, you know, because he's so great and important and stuff. <laughs> but, <laughs> Is it a form of magic? I mean, if the intention is there, uh, I put on my lapis necklace because lapis speaks to the throat chakra. So I wanted to be able to communicate clearly when I was doing this interview. So I wasn't casting a circle and going full on spell, but I guess it is a form of magic. You know, if the intention is there, then yeah, sure.
1: Yeah, I think so because it's a non. Well, it it is physical, but it's not direct manipulation of matter you're you know affecting other people's psyches by that
0: right uh, you're manipulating other people but you're manipulating other people
1: yeah i mean you know like people that like and it goes both ways you know people that make themselves like yeah, scary, yeah, scary looking and hey halloween <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right everybody gets into the oh you know uh, but uh, enough of my question uh, i got some other ones here um what do you know, Oswald Spengler wants to know, what do you know, and this kind of is a, affects me personally, too, uh, what do you know about the connection between green eyes and red hair in witches? I don't have red hair, but I have green eyes.
2: Ooh, I do have green eyes. Oh. Um, well, I, I don't know. I've heard that you're supposed to have fairy blood if you have green eyes, so... Red hair, I'm not sure. Maybe that's the same thing. There's, there's a whole. um, I won't go into it. But there's, there's what book is this in? I think it's Celtic Seership by Caitlin Matthews. I'm pretty sure that that's the book where she talks about red hair. And if you see a woman with w- red hair, all of those things that it used to mean in Ireland, as far as an omen. And I think it was like, never good. <laughs> you like walked out of your house in the morning and you saw a woman with red it's
1: hair. It's like the black cat, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I have a black cat sleeping next to me right now. Oh, I
1: love black cats. They're very smart.
2: <laughs> yeah, but I think it. they say it's fairy, fairy blood. I've heard that
1: speaking of blood uh occult fan want to know if you think there's um anything um concerning hereditary bloodlines from you know uh, slain witches like those in salem uh is is there is it just sociological or is there you know a real blood magic kind of thing passed down through the generations
2: well I don't know. I don't know that much about Salem, the Salem lineages specifically. But sure, um, hereditary witches, I think, have always existed. Maybe Ah. we all used to be hereditary witches. I don't claim that name because I would have a very broken hereditary witch lineage. I think on all four grandparental lines. But yeah, I mean, any any skill uh, can get passed down. So. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Interesting. You know, it's, it's funny. Uh, speaking of that, I always had a theory that everyone is totally magic, but when you add up everybody's intentions and so forth, it all adds up to what we see now. So it's like you're trying to get above the water, you know, <laughs> because like, look at the political parties, right? They're all fighting against each other and like it, it adds up to zero with noise bopping up and down, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The the (laughs) witch tries to do enough to tip the scales. So, yeah, Yeah, I know. It's tricky. And then the
1: one across the street undoes it. You know, it's like a war, (laughs) constant magical war. Oh, boy. Um, Let's see. Oswald Spengler also wanted to know um, if uh, Rh negative blood type is related to... uh, to magical powers
0: so. yeah
2: i've heard that too i am o negative so i've researched i've gone down that rabbit hole and uh ah. about maybe we are uh the nephilim or or lucifer's children and i don't know for sure <laughs> if that's true but i like that idea um I know that it was such a, it was such a big theme with my pregnancies. I have two sons and, you know, if you have, if you're RH negative, it's a big deal. You have to get shots all the time. Right. Oh, Hemolytic disease of,
1: of the newborn. Yeah.
2: Right. Yeah. So yeah, I'm sure that it's something, but I don't know exactly what it is. It does feel important.
1: Interesting.
2: Yeah.
0: Great. Well, that takes care of the questions, I think. All right. Well, uh, why don't we talk about your book, The Holy Wild Grimoire? Uh, Just maybe if you could briefly tell the audience about the structure. It's divided into what, five elements or tell, tell the audience why and what it has to do with witchcraft and so forth.
2: Yes. So it is, it's divided by the five elements, which is a lens that I really like working with because it's a universal lens. So if you don't know much about your ancestry, or you're not really sure what tradition to root your craft in, we are all human. So we're all of the earth. So you can always root your witchcraft in the elements that's there for everybody. So that's why I usually include the elements in my books and try to organize the books in that way. So So within each of those five parts, so earth, water, fire, air and ether, there are three different chapters and those chapters are organized according to our memories or reflections and then the present moment and then our visions or the yet to come or the future. So there's three sort of categories within all five elements. And then the invitation is to. Read the stories that are there, maybe explore the spells that are there, but more than all of that to work with the journal prompts that are there in order to dig out parts of your own story that just feel important or get somehow illuminated from the different poetry that's, that's in the book. And then look at your own words as being more important than mine. So, you know, what comes out when you finish those different journal prompts that are in there. And then what part of your story is that um, sparking and why, right? So that's part of word witchery is to always be like, why is this the thing that's stepping forward without really being able to draw any hard edge conclusions around that, but yes.
0: Great, yeah, again, it's an approachable book, practical book that you can use for your, you know, bring out your inner world and inner magic. And you also talk about how the importance of uh or the essentiality of an ancestral stories. So could you tell the audience about that, Danielle?
2: Yeah. So for me, my my whole mother line is Irish. And so when I'm as a storyteller, I really love learning stories and then being able to tell them kind of in my own words. And when I do that with my ancestral stories, the Irish stories, it just comes much more easily. And I can always find some sort of lesson there. But that said, if I work with my other lineages on my father's side that are much more in mystery, I don't really know that much about them, um, I can still always find in other stories from other parts of the world, I can always find a single mythic image or, or even a single line that steps forward and feels important. So if it, ancestral stories are, are important because they sort of feel like home, But if you don't really know what those stories are, you can find an important image that speaks to your soul in any story, I think. It might not be the whole of the plot line, but there'll be one scene or something that steps forward, some symbol that steps forward to be important, that feels important. So any story can be medicine. And I think that even even like you're drawn to watching certain things on Netflix. And so what archetypes are in there that feel like medicine for you right now? Like if you're drawn to a series that has a lot of kings and queens in it, maybe it's because your inner sovereignty or your inner ruler wants to be fed in some way. So It's not necessarily always just being distracted by what we're streaming. It could be that there's some archetypal medicine in there and there's a reason why you're drawn to that right now. So yeah, stories are
0: important. (laughs) mm -hmm. And ancestors are important, right? Uh, How do you honor your ancestors? What are some things you do to honor your ancestors? And I'm assuming gain their wisdom.
2: Yeah. Well, I have a pretty elaborate ancestral altar that I'm always making um, deposits into. So I have all four of my grandparental lineages represented. My father's on there because he passed in 2007. So it is an altar for the sort of way back still here ancestors, like sort of going way, way back, the ancestors whose names I don't even know. And then of course, the beloved dead, the people that I have lost that I do know. So they're represented on there. And especially this time of year, I love ancestral elevation through storytelling. So I think all of us kind of feel a pull toward telling the stories of our dead this time of year. And I think that doing that with an intention can be really powerful when that intention is to heal some part of the lineage that feels severed or, or elevate some part of the spirit story that feels wounded. So this time of year, especially, I'm just constantly telling stories about like my dad and my grandparents and great grandparents, not because they're great stories. I think they're great stories, but not everybody else does, (laughs) but because it elevates them. They like to feel that their stories are still being told and that they're remembered.
0: Yeah, you talked about your altar. Uh, does this happen to you? I also have a little altar in my little office and at least once a day the cats or the kids will destroy it. Sometimes I wonder if it's even worth it. Uh, do you keep how do you keep your altar safe from uh, the little goblins in the form of cats and children?
2: Yeah, it's a good question. My my children are still little goblins, but they're they're 13 and 16 now, so they don't really they know not to mess with things. My cat, too, is she seems to have this way of knowing what's important. Um, my ancestral altar is really high, so she can't get up there. We did just get a new puppy who is like both of my kids combined when they were three years old. So um, I have to keep everything high enough that he can't reach it because he jumps on everything. So I know it is tricky. I can't have any feathers or antlers on my altars. (laughs) There's things that I know. My cat will drink the altar water. um, Oh, no. uh, I was told that it's okay when it's cats. I had an old Is witch it? tell me when I was 24, and this seems to be true, that cats bring the magic in wherever they go. And if they want to cause mischief and do things, it's okay. But dogs take the mis- the, the magic away.
0: Oh. <laughs> Keep the dogs
2: out of the circles. Yeah. I don't know if that's true, but maybe. Yeah,
0: <laughs> they are remarkable animals, that's for sure. It's... Uh, Yeah. Oh, well, what are you going to do? And you also going back to your book, you talk about the importance of keeping a a big journal or journaling. Uh, What's the process that you tell people why it's important or what it does?
2: Yeah, well, um, journals can be you could use journaling for your book of shadows, which would be like your grimoire, where you you keep these reflections on the spells that worked and what didn't and how many days that took to come to fruition and what variables you put in that spell. And so you can begin to track what works and what doesn't. So that's an important piece. Then there's also the, the journaling that w- that's more pronounced in the book, where you're really trying to, to write and be in communion with something else. So when you write or whatever your art might be, you're in communion with the other world, capital O. And I think that as a writer, but even people that don't identify as writers when they start to write in this kind of stream of consciousness way, and then they go back and read it, they can really tell that they were sort of in conversation with something else. Maybe they weren't channeling in the way we think of channeling, but there was something else that was coming through. And they can tell that because they're using words they have never used before or wouldn't normally use. So that's important. And then Also, maybe equally important is tracking your dreams. We have to dream journal. I think that that's part of what's going to get us all out of this. (laughs) We all have to really track our dreams every morning. If you can track your dreams and then go back and look at when certain symbols appear and what times of year that symbol appears, like I have about six years of dreams gathered from almost every night because I'm pretty good at remembering my dreams and I can really predict a lot of things that are important. I know when somebody in my family is about to get sick. Um I know when something good's coming and when something not good's coming. I can tell that from my dreams. So yeah, dream journaling is is important too. So there's three categories.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, you're really connected to the uh, fairy or the imaginal or whatever you call it. Yeah, I do dream journaling too and I I work with a Jungian therapist or a Jungian advisor to get the symbols, the rhythms, the moods, all that. And yeah. Uh, yeah, sometimes they do come true. And so right. I, I, I highly advise people to yeah, journal, 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 dream journal, write down everything. Gratitudes lists. Writing is such a powerful form of spellcraft and uh, it really helps.
1: Yeah. And what what are your
0: views on the on the afterlife in your tradition, reincarnation, other worlds, or what? Where do you stand?
2: Yeah, well, for me, I I have a knowing that when it's time for me to go, I'm going to go to what looks to me like an island. So I think that this is from the old Irish stories. It, and and it, I've seen it before I knew those stories, which is how I know that I think it's real. Um, So I as a child, I used to see my great grandmother there. um, And it sort of looks like a very bright, shining island, there's silver and gold there. And I, I at now, Danielle, as a living person, when I go on my pathworking experiences, I can visit kind of like the shores of this island. But there's a place that I'm not allowed to go beyond. And so that's sort of the mythic image that I hold on to that when I die, I will go there. Um, as far as reincarnation goes, I think it's a, a choice. Um, Of course, I don't know. But if I if I had to guess, I would say right now today, it's a choice. We can choose to come back or not. I believe that my father, for example, who died in 2007, that he hasn't come back yet. I don't think anybody's forcing him to like shoot his spirit back into the world. I think he's waiting for my mother at least to join him before they decide what to do. So, yeah, that's my take on it at this point in my life
0: she agrees with you, so you <laughs> she wants to get out. You're going to have to wait, Kitty. You're going to have to wait. Stay on my <laughs> lap. And, yeah, you talk about this wonderful Irish myth. My ancestors, my last name Connors, obviously Irish. Uh, mm-hmm. My dad was second-generation Irish. Uh, mm-hmm. What are some books or resources for people that might be interested in Irish mythology and the gods and all that?
2: Well, so uh, "Gods and Fighting Men," which I think is Lady Gregory's book from maybe the late 1800s, um, and I think the forward was W.B. Yeats. Maybe I have that confused, and it's W.B. Yeats, and Lady Gregory wrote the forward. But um, that's a really great book, "Gods and Fighting Men." And then there is Lady Gregory's Irish Mythology. That's sort of the the Bible, like it's this really thick, thick book. Um, and then much more recently, the book Celtic Seership by Caitlin Matthews that I mentioned before. She has a lot of great myth in there. Um, Fire in the Head by, I think it's Tom Cowan. He talks a lot about Celtic shamanism and uh, and its connection to Irish mythology. So I could go on, but <laughs> yeah, for, those are four
0: And do you feel people might... Uh... Should always be wary when dealing with the fairy. Uh, just rhymed, <laughs> but and also because the fairy—it's a—I always see them as the true uh, sort of a simulation theory. The fairy are the creators of so many parallel worlds, but they also tend to have morals that are alien to human beings, and they are tricksters. Do you feel the same? Do you warn people? It's not like hoo hoo you know, woo-woo stuff. It's yes. <laughs> stuff beyond you that you might not understand and might turn your world upside down without they caring.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that um they I mean similar to what I was talking about with mediumship and spirits, you know, you don't have to talk to anybody just because you can, any spirit just because you can. With with fairy, it's sort of like I think that they're mo- mostly ambivalent toward humans I don't I don't think that they, they are meddling in all of our business all the time necessarily I think that they're sort of on another level um but they are tricksters so they are amoral they're not all good or all bad um they can be both or neither and yeah it's sort of like going on uh a, a, canyon hike you know you need somebody that's been there before that can <laughs> show, show you where to go and help you um because yeah they definitely aren't the sparkly glitter winged in the garden some are but most <laughs> <not>. <laughs> yeah i
0: think uh, we, in our last show our guest gordon was talking about token and he said uh yeah vans asked what did token think of shakespeare and Uh, He answered, Tolkien did not like Shakespeare. And I was like, who wouldn't not like Shakespeare? And he said, because uh, Shakespeare made the fairy into these little cute little mischievous elves. You know, he kind of denigrated what Tolkien thought was a very powerful and honored and noble part of the mythology of England and that area. So Tolkien wanted to bring back their pop, make elves great again. Giant again. Yeah, giant, yeah, yeah, make them powerful and, you know.
2: Yeah, like exactly.
0: And Vince, any uh, questions as we get towards the end of the interview? From you know, uh, and- I don't see any. I, I don't. A lot
1: of good uh, interest in what's going on, but uh, no questions so far. Anybody who wants questions, put them in there now.
0: Yeah, it looks like they're having a great discussion on fairy, magic, religion, and all that. And uh yeah, well as we get to the end, what do you hope the reader will get out of your book, The Holy Wild Grimoire? What do you th- what do you want them to get out of it, Danielle?
2: I hope I think I always answer this question differently, but I hope that the reader <laughs> Just today, I hope that the reader um, is able to maybe have a a new kind of otherworldly magical writing practice sparked from the book. If there's just one story that's in there, what I call the story lanterns, it's just one of those steps forward and feels important or like medicine, like a medicinal story. I hope that that happens. Um, but, you know, beyond all of that, I hope that there's an understanding that their story is important and that they're here for a reason and that there is maybe um, uh, an invitation to behold like the the larger story, like the entirety of the poetry of your life from childhood up until, I mean, beyond whatever age you are now. So and then what does that mean? What What does that story mean?
0: beautifully yeah. said yeah and for the audience i'm gonna add this uh here is danielle's website uh it is just her name of course this is a beautiful quote to start your website which is speak the languages of longing and rebellion amen i love that <coughs> and you can find her books sacred hacks wow so you've got quite a few books, The Holy Wild, The Woman Most Wild. Yeah, a lot of great books. What are you working on next? Anything?
2: Right now I'm writing an uh, apocalyptic novel that I keep getting stuck on because everything keeps coming true.
0: <laughs> Maybe you should stop writing. Gets- write a happy ending. Yeah, I write know. a happy <laughs>
2: Yeah, so we'll see what that turns into. I've been writing that since 2019, so it's been difficult.
0: <laughs> oh, wow. Well, yeah, keep at it. Keep at it. Yeah, new challenges yeah. for everybody. All right, well, Vance, if nobody else has any questions, we will end the season of The Witch. Or do you have a last question or comment? Actually,
1: comment. you read my mind. Uh- uh asking for a friend, what does it mean when someone does a banishing ritual and puts a candle on a plate? At the end of the banishing ritual, the plate splits in half.
2: <laughs> it could mean your candle was too hot and the wick burned all the way down. <laughs> or or you could you can read into it like it's a it's a symbol. I, I mean I would read it like the spell worked. If the candle went out and the plate split, I would read it like that was a good thing. But yeah
0: okay well i hope your friend is satisfied vance and will continue <laughs> with his magical practices okay oh <laughs> <laughs> awesome know. yeah i let him know well awesome it's been a great conversation love the questions from you guys in the chat and yeah, the co- deep conversations you're having inspired by our interview so we are doing our job Really appreciate everything you do, people, in the chat. And uh, first of all, Vance, really appreciate what you're doing. And thanks for you and your sandalwood for keeping us company.
1: Uh, It's an honor to be here. Great to be with you. I love your energy. I really do. Thank you. You're a good example why people should embrace witchcraft and not be afraid of it.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much.
0: Yes, Danielle, thank you very much for again coming on the show. Uh, you'll always have a place if you finish your novel. We would love to talk about it. And unless your novel ends with the destruction of the world, a meteorite <laughs> or something like that, uh, yeah, who knows. But uh, we'd love to talk to you whenever you want. And yeah, thank you very much for coming on A.M. Bite and good luck with The Holy Wild Grimoire. Good book.
2: Thank you so much. Take care. All
0: right, everybody. As I always say, keep writing your own gospel and living your own myth, and we will talk to you soon. Thank you, everybody, and have a great weekend.